Hey, we're glad to have all of you tonight. We're going to begin tonight at the end of Genesis 43. The end of Genesis chapter 43 and then flow into Genesis 44 tonight. Tonight is all about the subject of repentance. Because that's what was taking place in the lives of Joseph's brothers in order to bring about reconciliation with their brother Joseph. They were, in a sense, being put to the test of whether they were trustworthy and whether they had changed from 20 years before when they had sold their own brother Joseph into slavery into Egypt. Would they treat their younger brother Benjamin in the same way that they had treated Joseph? And this is what Joseph was finding out. It was not based on whether he would forgive them or not. I believe that Joseph had already forgiven his brothers at this point, And we're going to talk about the subject of forgiveness next week. And that is such an important subject for us to get as Christians. So I hope you'll come back next week as we explore Genesis 45, which is all about the forgiveness part. But what repentance is all about is restoring the relationship and and reconciling that after the trust was broken, which is a separate issue from forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that you and I can do unilaterally without ever having the relationship restored. But if we're ever going to have that relationship restored and that reconciled, then obviously that trust has to be rebuilt. And that starts with repentance. That starts with a person being willing to change and in a sense let God change them. Change their heart. And that's what we see here in the lives of Joseph's brothers. The reason I wanted to start at the end of chapter 43 tonight was, if you recall, after Joseph invites his brothers, that they don't know it's him yet, into his home for this great banquet, and isn't it a great picture of Christ, because even though they don't know him yet, he's being very generous and showering them with blessings, And he's inviting them to his personal banquet table. And they're feasting with the governor of Egypt, even though they don't really know him. And we know that God is that way. That God blesses people who do not personally have a relationship with him. The Bible tells us that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And therefore, God is good even to those that do not know him or acknowledge him. And we see that here with Joseph. But what we see at the end of chapter 43, the Bible tells us, as as Joseph is directing the events of this banquet, he, he wants Benjamin, his brother, to get five times the portion, if you will, more than anybody else, any of the other brothers. And why that's important is because you remember 20 years earlier, When Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph, these brothers so resented that that they began to hate Joseph and ended up treating him the way they did and selling him into slavery. So by Joseph here, 
plopping down five times the portion in front of Benjamin, he wanted to see as a test how they were going to react. Were they going to resent Benjamin and what Benjamin received just as they had resented Joseph and what Joseph had received? And this is also a reminder that many times in our life, just like Joseph's brothers, they failed the test with Joseph. If God was handing out a grade, they would have flunked. They didn't handle their brother Joseph very well. So guess what God is doing? They're retaking the test. And that's what God will do with us. If we don't do well with the test the first time, God will bring that back up again, and hopefully we will handle it better the next time around. And that's what's happening here. Because we see at the end of chapter 43 that there seems to be no outward, at least, resentment from the brothers over the greater portion that Benjamin has received. And so the Bible then tells us at the end of chapter 43 that even though they don't know that this is their brother Joseph, that all of the brothers, all the sons of Jacob are there together except for Benjamin in Joseph's house and they're having a party. They're having a blast. In fact, the Bible says they might have all had a little bit too much to drink by the end of the night. And yet it reminds us that even though, again, they don't know that this is Joseph, that there is fellowship going on here that hasn't existed between these men for quite a few years. Maybe never. Maybe never had they really enjoyed each other's company the way they were here at the end of chapter 43. So we start to see even at the end of chapter 43 sort of the seeds of change that are taking place. Which reminds me then as we come into chapter 44, what we are seeing really is what John the Baptist talks about in Matthew chapter 3 verse 8. When as he was speaking, he told the people that were coming out to hear him that you need to bring forth fruit that produces repentance or that, that manifests repentance. In other words, you and I can't just say we've changed or that, you know, we've repented without corresponding action that backs it up and accompanies it. We need to see action. We need to see a change of heart that is illustrated in truly a change in behavior. And we're going to see that dramatic change tonight here in chapter 44 with Joseph's brothers. And, and as we go down through this chapter, I think what, what God then would be wanting to speak to us about is, are we at a point in our walk with God where we are pliable clay where the changes or the change that God may want to be doing or making in our life, we're cooperating with God and we're going along with. Because that's so important for all of us, no matter what stage of our life with God that we are. That we're always open to the change God wants to bring about in our life. For years, the brothers of Joseph were unchanged, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, weren't willing to do anything, and now through the circumstances of the drought 
and the famine and the hunger and all that they were experiencing even down in Egypt, God was bringing about a contrition and a repentance and a change. And God will do that in our lives as well. So we see this test, this final test that Joseph gives to his brothers here in chapter 44. He instructed the servant who was over his household, fill the sacks of the men with as much food as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the money for his grain. He did as Joseph instructed. When morning came, the men and their donkeys were sent off. They had not gone very far from this city when Joseph said to the servant who was over his household, and notice now Joseph is going to be very specific. He's given his servant a lot of leeway about everything else and how to handle it. But when he, when he comes upon his brothers, he wants him to specifically say these words. And the reason being is because Joseph is still wanting to, to disguise himself as an Egyptian. As, as someone who uses divination, uh, as the Egyptians did, to, to find things out. And the reason why Joseph wants to emphasize that is because he wants to instill in his brothers, before he knows where they're at, that he truly knows what's going on. And he's hoping that by their understanding of that, they'll come clean on their own with the things that they've done and acknowledge these things. So that's why he tells the servant, he says, Pursue the men at once, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Doesn't my master drink from this cup and use it for divination? Now divination was prohibited, obviously, by the people of God. And I don't believe Joseph ever practiced this at all. I think this, again, is part of the ruse that he is using here to continue to disguise his identity, his true identity, to his brothers. But it's also a way, again, of saying to his brothers, I know what you're doing. You can't hide from me. You can't conceal anything from me. And even though he knows about his brothers because of, obviously, his relationship with them, he wants them at this point to think that he knows maybe from some other Because he's not ready to reveal himself to them yet. Because again, why? Because he's not sure he can trust them, you see. So this is all about, again, rebuilding trust. Can they be trusted? Are they honest? Have they changed, you see? And then he says at the end of verse 5, you have done wrong. So verse 6, when the man overtook them, he spoke these words to them. They answered, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Look, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. Why would we then steal silver or gold from your master's house? They're saying, Look, we made restitution. Even when we first found that there was money that shouldn't have been there, we brought it back. Then in verse 9, they accept responsibility here. They're not trying to point fingers or pass the buck. They're willing to accept responsibility. If one of us has done this, he will die, and the rest of us will become the Lord's slaves. Again, it's a little bit of a change from the way they used to be. So the servant replies, 
You have suggested your own punishment. The one who has it, though, won't have to die. He modifies it. He says, he will become my slave, but the rest of you will go free. So each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. And you can imagine, you know, they're thinking everything's good now. We've got all these supplies. We're headed back to Canaan. Jacob, our father, is going to be pleased. Everything's good. Benjamin's with this. Nothing went wrong like our father thought it would. And now you can imagine, they're out of the city thinking all is well. And then the servant approaches them and says, one of you has stolen the governor's silver cup. So can you imagine what they were, even though they, they knew well, we hadn't done it, so they're looking through their sacks, but yet I'm sure there had to be a little bit of fear and trepidation as they were looking through the sacks. Then the Bible says, verse 12, each man searched and the man searched and he began with the oldest, which certainly builds up the dramatic effect because he knew whose sack this was in. It was in Benjamin's, the youngest. And he finally gets to the youngest, Benjamin, and that's where the cup was found, in Benjamin's sack. Now notice that. Notice the reaction, though, of the brothers. They all tore their clothes. Then each man loaded his donkey, and they all returned to the city. Notice something here. Instead of them being out for themselves, because remember what the servant said, the only one that's going to be held responsible and will be a slave is the one who sacked the silver goblet was in, which was Benjamin. He says to them, the rest of you can go home scot-free. Well, there would have been a day, like 20 years ago, where those brothers said, Sorry, Benjamin. See you later. We're going back to Pa. Have a nice life. But notice they didn't do that here. First of all, by tearing their clothes, that was an Old Testament way of expressing distress and grief and mourning over a situation. The Jews that did this didn't care that they had ruined their clothes, if you will. That, that they looked bad. Because in a sense, it was an expression outwardly of how they felt inwardly. They felt bad about something. However, keep your finger there in Genesis 44:13 about renting or tearing their clothes. And go over with me really quick to a verse out of the book of Joel in the Old Testament that I think is very appropriate here because we're talking about repentance. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. And if if you're trying to find Joel, it's the second of the minor prophets. So once you get to Daniel, go past Daniel into Hosea, and then you'll come right after Hosea to the small little book of Joel. And when you get there, again, it's chapter 2 of Joel and verse 12. And notice through the prophet Joel what God says to his people in Joel 2.12. Now God here in Joel has basically told his people that judgment is coming because of their rebellion and their idolatry. And yet through the prophet, here's the message through Joel to the people of God in verse 12 of chapter 2. Yet even now, the Lord says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your garments. Because to God, there's several things in here about repentance. First, 
Repentance actually starts with returning to God, which means turning away from everything else and turning to God. Notice he says, return to me. That's repentance. And then it's not just turning to God, but notice then God says, with all your heart, hold nothing back. Total surrender. Don't come trying to, uh, to play games or bargain or, or barter or, or manipulate the situation. You come, all of you, in total surrender. Turn to me with all your heart. And then there's got to be some action. There's got to be fruit. And so God adds fasting. And then there's got to be emotion, because if it's true repentance, it's not that it's all emotion, but there's got to be an emotional element as well as an action element as well, which is why he says weeping and mourning. But then the ultimate is this. God says, but listen, you may tear your garments, just as Joseph's brothers did back in Genesis, and you may outwardly express that you're upset about something, but God sees the heart. And God wants our heart to be broken before Him. And God truly wants a heart that is surrendered to Him and comes to Him and says, God, here I am. Not the outward expression without the internal reality, if you will, and genuineness and sincerity of heart. And that's what God still wants to see today from His people. I mean, it's great that we can go through the outward motions, say, of worship, and, and all of our service and activity and all of those things. But what God is really looking for are hearts that turn to Him wholly. And, and that any outward activity and worship that we do is coming from a heart. And not just, I'm going through the motions and outwardly I look like this, but inwardly... I'm not really surrendered to God. Which is why God in the New Testament, through people like Paul, would say, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, which is actually what, you know, happens a lot. Or they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. So there's always that element of, we can do something outwardly, and yet our heart is not there. And so repentance is more than just tearing garments and going through external things. It's the heart first. And then hopefully the external actions and emotions will follow. All right, back to Genesis chapter 44. So notice here, though the unity in verse 13 of chapter 44, they all went back to Egypt. They could have went free, but they were going to now stand with Benjamin. They weren't going to let Benjamin go back and face Joseph by himself. They weren't going to let Benjamin go back and be a slave without their support of Benjamin. Now think about this. Think about the change that's taken place in these men's lives in 20 years. And I realize a lot of it's taken place in just the last few months but you can see the change is happening. Because 20 years earlier, they thought nothing of selling their brother Joseph into slavery, eating a meal while the Ishmaelites were taking him off into slavery in Egypt, and thinking nothing about it. 
And now, pretty much a very similar situation is happening with their other brother, Benjamin, and they're reacting totally different. In fact, verse 14 says, so Judah and his brothers came back to Joseph's house. I think that in their interactions and fellowship with Joseph, they were beginning to get Joseph's heart. Even though they didn't know it was their brother yet, by their time with him, they believed that this was a fair man, a just man, one that could be reasoned with, one that even though he was in a position of power, that, that he was not using his power abusively. And so I think that they really thought, you know, Joseph is somebody that we can talk to about this. He, he'll make it right. And I think that that's important here to see too, that there's sort of two sides of it. They had a desire to do everything they could to support their brother, which they had never done before up to this point. And two, though, it was based on their knowledge that they had gained from their interaction with Joseph over these last few weeks and months that they were with him. And again, like I said last week, that's why God wants us to spend time with him, because if we truly know the heart of God, a lot of the things that we worry about, we're anxious about, we care about, We won't be so filled with all these things of anxiety and all that if we truly knew the heart of God for us. So they came to Joseph's house. He was still there. And notice, they all threw themselves to the ground before him. Literally fell prostrate before him. Joseph said to them, what do you think you were doing? Don't you know that a man like me can find out things like this by divination? See, again, putting on that front as an Egyptian. I know things. I can find out things. You can't hide things from me. Will you come clean to me about what you've done? Judah replied, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we clear ourselves or justify ourselves from suspicion? And then don't miss this. This is key. God has exposed the sin of your servants. What sin do you think he's referring to there? Joseph. All these years, they carried around the guilt of what they had done. And had no way to deal with it. And again, this is one of the reasons why God was doing this through Joseph in the lives of these men. He wanted to set these men free from the guilt that was going to hang there until they were willing to acknowledge their sin and repent of it and reconcile with their brother Joseph. It reminds us of a verse later on in the the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. Chapter 32, verse 23, the verse that says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Literally in the Hebrew it means, Know that the consequences of your sin will eventually catch up to you. Is what it means. And that's exactly what Judah was saying here. He said, you know what? Even though it was 20 years ago, the consequences of what we did to our brother Joseph has caught up to us. And now we're paying for it. Notice he also says, we, again, plural pronoun, 
We are now my Lord's slaves. We and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Notice, we're in this together. We're brothers. We're not going to turn our back or abandon our brother Benjamin. We're going to stand with him. Wow. Can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind as he sees now his brothers and the way they're reacting in this situation compared to the way they reacted 20 years earlier in his situation? He's starting to see the change that's coming in their lives. Again, they're not just saying they've changed. They're showing by their actions that they are changed men. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do this. The man in whose hand the cup was found will become my slave or servant, but the rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Shalom. So again, Joseph has given them an out. He's basically saying, look, Benjamin needs to stay here. The rest of you can go. Will they? Will they, will they take that opportunity? And here again, who steps up? Who steps up and shows real leadership even amongst all the brothers? It is Judah. Judah drew near to Joseph and begins this great, basically, plea to Joseph for mercy upon Benjamin and upon this family. This is the longest speech in the book of Genesis. From verse 18, all the way down through verse 29. Not very long, but in Genesis, it's the longest speech in the book of Genesis. There are three key words in these verses. The word servant, Judah uses ten times. He's showing humility by using that word over and over again. He uses the phrase, my Lord, seven times which is recognition of authority. And he uses the word father, referring to his father, Jacob, and to their father 13 times. He is showing, as well as the other brothers, that even though there was a day where they did not respect their father, Jacob, or care about him, because if they did, they would have never done what they did to Joseph and break their father's heart. Now, all of a sudden, they are concerned about even how this is all impacting their father. They're changing. And can I tell you, keep your finger there in chapter 44 and just go quickly over with me to chapter 49 and look at verse 10. This is why later on, Jacob, as he's pronouncing blessings on his children, says in verse 10, a very key verse out of the Old Testament, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, the nations will obey him. Why did God prompt Jacob to give Judah that blessing? Because of Judah's leadership back here in the earlier chapters of 43 and 44. Judah is getting it. He is realizing for the first time in his life, that God looks for people in leadership who serve others, not who want to be served. Who use their position in, in humility and, and to bless other people rather than being the ones 
who are being blessed. And so he's showing here that he is now fit to be a leader. And his ancestors and and all that will come after him in the line of Judah, obviously all leading to Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that Judah is fit to be that head, if you will. And he gets that blessing from his father, Jacob. So back then to Genesis 44, Basically, Judah recounts all that's happened to them up to this point, each and every detail. And he shares this from his heart with Joseph. And he's just hoping that Joseph will find it in him to to hear him and to maybe not go through with this. So then I'm going to pick it up in verse 30. So now when I return to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his very life is bound up in his son's life. When he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, in sorrow to the grave. Now I want to go back to this phrase that's a key phrase in verse 30, bound up. He's he's proclaiming that his father Jacob's life is bound up in his son Benjamin's life. The word means to be tied, to be joined, to be knit together. And Judah and the brothers are starting to understand this too. That you know what? We're not independent of each other. That, That what affects one of us affects all of us. This is why they have become they have begun to act in unity and be a unit and that they were all willing to come back to Joseph even though they all could have went home. And even there could have been one or two of them that would have said, hey, bye, the rest of you might want to go down to Egypt and talk to Joseph. We're going back. No, they all came because they were all starting to realize that guess what? God wants us to understand something. And that is he wants us to be loyal to each other. We were disloyal to our brother earlier on. And God wants His people to learn to be loyal to one another and to love each other unselfishly. This is so important for God's people to learn. And this was the repentance. This was the change that was happening in Judah and the other brothers. And they recognized that that was certainly true of their father and how he felt about Benjamin and how he felt about Joseph. His life was tied up, fastened, bound together to someone else's life. Now keep your finger there and go over, because we're going to finish up here in just a few moments. Go over to the New Testament book of Colossians. I want you to see that this principle that we've just spoken about is actually an expectation of God for His people, you and me, towards one another. Do you know that God expects us as brothers and sisters in Christ to to feel like we are tied, fastened, bound, and knit together to one another so that we do things in unity and seek to preserve the unity in the body and to, to glorify God with one mouth and to do things with one mind? We see this in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 2, 
where Paul says this, my goal for you all is that their hearts, notice this next phrase, having been knit together in love may be encouraged. And then he goes on to talk about more things. But I want you to focus on that phrase, having been knit together in love. This is what God wants us to... He wants us to look at each other as if we're bound together. We're knit together. We're tied together. We're fastened together. What affects one of us affects all of us. We're going to stand for each other. And we see that's now happening throughout the rest of chapter 44 with Joseph and the brothers here. Notice if you go back to Genesis 44 as we close out this chapter tonight, that that Judah also says that in verse 32, Indeed, your servant, meaning him, pledged security for the boy with my father. The, again, phrase pledge security speaks about being braided or intermixed with someone else. It speaks about being engaged with someone in a relational way. And that's what Judah did before his father. He says, I pledge security because we're knit together. And if something happens to Benjamin, it happens to me. I am my brother's keeper, if you will. This is what Judah had said to Jacob. If I do not bring him back to you, verse 32, Judah goes on to tell Joseph, I will bear the blame before my father all my life. It means to incur penalty, literally to forfeit one's life. Judah says, I'm willing to give up my life for my brother, Benjamin. That's what I pledged before my father, before we left Canaan to come down here. Isn't that again very reflective of what Jesus said in the New Testament? Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. This is what Judah was doing. He's willing to, in a sense, give up his life for his brothers. Now think about that. What a change. These are the same guys that threw Joseph in a pit and sold him into slavery and didn't think a thing of it. But repentance is happening. Change is happening. Contrition is happening. Their hearts are changing because they're allowing God to change them from the inside out. So then Judah says this, So now, please let your servant remain as my Lord's slave instead of the boy. Literally in the Hebrew, it means to stand in the place of. And what's interesting about this is this is the first instance of human substitution in the Bible. Now, obviously, we know the greatest substitute is Jesus Christ. The one who took our place and went instead of us to the cross and took the penalty of sin upon himself. But here in the book of Genesis, this is the first time in Scripture that someone is willing to stand up for another human being and say, I will take his place. I will take the penalty for him. Again, looking ahead to Jesus. Jesus. 
Now I say this is the first instance of human substitution. Because if you go back just a few chapters in Genesis to Genesis 22, there was one previous substitution, but that was an animal. It was when Abraham was about ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, and God told Abraham, hey, look over there in the thicket. And Abraham said, oh, there's a ram. We will sacrifice the ram. And so the ram became the substitute for Isaac. But this is the first instance in Scripture where a human being is willing to be the substitute for someone else. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see my father's pain or distress. Wow. Again, God teaches his people to be loyal to one another. By convicting them of previous disloyalty, to get them to love one another unselfishly. Such self-sacrificing love is essential for God's people. God wants us to be willing to change. God wants us to be loyal God wants us to be selfless. And God wants us to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. As I was thinking about all of these concepts, in closing tonight, I'd like you to turn to the book of Philippians. I think that this passage in Philippians may sum up all this as well as any in Scripture. Philippians chapter 2. beginning at verse 1. Listen to the words of Paul. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection of mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in Spirit, And having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. And then he goes on to share with us specifically what Jesus did to show us that kind of selfless love and sacrifice. This is what's happened to Joseph's brothers. Think about it. These self-centered, selfish, hateful men who were willing to literally sell their own brother into slavery and treat him as if he was dead, not caring even how it would inflict pain upon their father for years and years, cover it up, pretend like nothing ever happened, and now we come to these chapters in Genesis 43 and 44 where, oh my goodness, 
the change in these men who now are standing together, who are now standing as one unit, who are now standing for one another, supporting one another, caring more about others than they do themselves, caring about their father and how this will affect him, caring about their brother Benjamin. And this change is all because of God. And it is a reminder to us that when you and I and others are willing to yield ourselves to God, the changes that God can bring about, the positive changes, are just unbelievable. We wouldn't recognize, you know, ourselves or others. And this is why God wants us to place ourselves into His hands each and every day and let God continue to work in and through us. And the other takeaway for me from this chapter tonight is that what you really see coming out here again is that those who at one time were not loyal, even to their own family, they're starting to get it. That it's important for us to be glued together and to be fastened together and knit together and to realize that what affects one of us does affect all of us. And that we are in this together. And therefore, we've got to stick together. And the best way that we can stick together is to not be thinking of ourselves, but to be selfless, sacrificial, and looking out for the interests of others more than we look out for the interests of ourselves. This is what's happening here. And all of that change, then, is going to flow into the beginning of the next chapter, where we read that Joseph cannot now contain himself. And he is finally willing to reveal himself to his brothers and share with them his true identity. And he feels safe to do that now because he has seen the change in his brother's lives. He knows that they're not the same men that they were 20 years ago. And that they have been able to rebuild that trust between them and him. And a wonderful reunion and reconciliation and restoration is going to happen next week and we're going to see it. And it's all going to be also about forgiveness. But tonight, it's about repentance. It's about being a people that are willing to turn to God with all of our heart. And not just go through the outward motions. But to, as Joel said, rend our hearts and not just our garments. Let's come before the Lord and close tonight. Father, we thank you that you are a God.
that truly is in the business of transformation. God, you change people's character. Sometimes, Lord, so dramatically that that person is barely recognizable from what they used to be. And God, we could probably all say that even here. That the more we walk with you and the longer we walk with you, God, that the people that we used to be, oh my goodness, we're so different than what we used to be. And yet, God, we know that you're not finished with that process in our lives. That there's more change that needs to take place. And so, God, I pray tonight that based upon the things that that we've seen out of this chapter, God, that we be willing to once again place ourselves into your hands and let you, God, make the changes that need to be made. Cooperate with the work you want to do in our lives. And God, also realize out of this chapter that we can carry hope. Hope not only for ourselves that you can change us, but that you can change other people as well. And God, we pray for that. That God, hearts will be changed. Truly, sincerely, and genuinely changed. And that the actions and the ministry and the service and everything that's done outwardly, Lord, would simply be a reflection of what's happening in the heart. And God, help us once again as brothers and sisters in Christ tonight even from an Old Testament example and perspective, to see how important it is that as the people of God, we recognize that we are bound to one another. Our hearts are to be knit together in love. We are to be joined and fastened to one another and be loyal to each other and live selflessly and sacrificially for one another. God, this is what was happening with Joseph's brothers. And this is, this is the kind of fellowship and relationships you want to see amongst your people. So God, I pray that we would just continue at the Oasis to be that kind of people with one another. And that we would truly treasure our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and recognize, God, that they are precious gifts that you have given us in our lives. So go with us, God. Encourage us, strengthen us, and solidify us, God, as one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. We'll see you on Sunday.